Jeff. Hey, Chapel family. It's good to see all of you. Good to see those that might be joining us online this morning as well. Uh, for those that uh, I haven't connected with yet or it's been a little while, uh, my name's Todd. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. I've been mostly down at our, over at our Port Clinton location, so all of our Chapel family and PC send their greetings. Um, they're, they're gathering right now. They're worshiping. They're going to dive into God's Word. Pastor Eric's over there, so we did the, the switch uh, this weekend, and uh, I've been looking forward to spending some time and reconnecting with all of you in the midst of this series that we're in. Um, Pastor Jeff mentioned, and let me just get add my shout out to Night to Shine and all the volunteers, and like he said, if you want to sign a card, do a note of encouragement, there's a table right out in the atrium, and all you have to do is stop there, and you can, you can fill out one of those, those cards or join us for the paparazzi group um, from five to six. Such, such good things to get to be a part of. I mean, you will not regret coming and being even a part of a little bit a part of that, that night. Um, there's just something unique and special uh, that happens, and uh, we look forward to that. So it's good to be with all you. I, I've, I've got some bad news, though. I'm not to be a pessimist, but did you know that you are all going to die? <laughs> You're like, well, welcome back to Sandusky Campus. That's a great way to start a message, right? And yet it is a reality. That's not being pessimistic. That's just being realistic, right? I mean, even the most optimistic person might say, man, I, I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to live a long life. I want to live a full life. But even the most optimistic person knows that at some point, history has told us and showed us that this life as we know it will end. And so it, it causes questions in our own hearts like, well, then what's next? What happens when we do die? What about the afterlife? Is there an afterlife? And a Campus Crusade for Christ put out an article that kind of highlighted some of the the big picture ideas and philosophies about what happens after we die. For instance, physicist Stephen Hawking, he compared death to a computer that stops working when it breaks, and he said the thought of the afterlife is simply a fairy tale. Or I think about ancient philosophers like Socrates and Plato. They believed that when the body died, that the soul did indeed live on, but but what it did or where it went, who can know? Atheist philosophers like Marx and Lenin and Nietzsche, they didn't believe in an afterlife at all. In fact, they viewed a belief in the afterlife as in conflict with being able to live this life at its fullest. These are some of the, the big picture philosophies that have been throughout the ages about life after death or shift a little bit to the religions of the world, right? Uh, big picture religions like Islam says that, uh, that people have immortal souls, but after death, the destination of the soul, they believe, depends on a person's good or bad deeds. Some, some religions that are around today, uh, you name it, kind of hold on to this kind of philosophy and belief. Or I think about Buddhism. Buddhism in general believes that um, eternal individual souls do not even exist, but after death, people are reincarnated, depending upon their beliefs and actions. So it better be good here, because you want to get a better chance at the life after. There's all kinds of different philosophies, worldviews, even whole religious systems 
that carry their own ideologies and beliefs about life after death. And so what are we to believe? This, this weekend, we want to continue in our series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's Paul's letter to a group of believers in the ancient city of Thessalonica. And in this, in this letter, Paul addresses from God's own word, from the scriptures, what about life after death? What is going to happen? Especially, what is going to happen? What can we expect if we put our faith and hope in Jesus? What is awaiting us? And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and then we'll go all the way through a bit of chapter 5 together. You can follow along on your phone. You can follow along on the screens as well. But this is how Paul begins this section addressing this all-important topic. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Now notice, he doesn't say that we won't grieve. He just says, well, we don't have to grieve like people who have no hope. And he says, even the believers that have died, what do we, what do, we do? What do we think? What are we to, to know about those who have put their faith in Jesus? Probably many of us in the room, we've experienced the death of a loved one. Maybe someone that was very close to us. Uh, Probably one of the toughest losses in our lives was losing Lisa's dad, Papa. (laughs) He was everything to us. They lived just down the street from us. And and for for years, as as our kids were young, they could just ride their bikes right down the road to go see Mimi and Papa. And some of you in the room, you've gone through losses. And death is hard. And it doesn't seem to get any easier. And even as a follower of Jesus, we wrestle with loss and we wrestle with grief when death comes, right? I think about uh, the way that the Kubler-Ross grief cycle kind of labels these these five stages of grief that most people will find themselves in at one point or another when they've suffered loss. Uh, Denial, usually moving to some anger then a low of depression, and then bargaining, and then eventually, hopefully, coming to a place of acceptance. Now, if you've gone through grief, maybe you recognize some of those those levels. Maybe you've been in some of those moments, right? Um, But for you, like it has been for me, sometimes it looks a little bit more like this, right? It's like, man, I, I, I I was angry, and then I was just depressed, but then I got angry again, right? Uh, or, or then I went into denial phase again, even after I'd already been processing things. And it's important for us to know that the process of grief in people's lives, while it might contain all these levels, it can look very differently. And in reality, isn't that the way it is even in our spiritual journeys? Like we're all about helping people move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. But how many of us know that sometimes there's one step or two steps forward and then all of a sudden you feel like you're back at square one questioning things or something has happened in your life that's rocked your faith and, and you're shaky again. And so you're, you're almost re-exploring or wrestling. Is this really what I believe? And how do I hold on to this? Life is hard, and death doesn't seem to make it any easier. 
But remember what Paul said to the Thessalonians. He says, we, don't want, you, we want you to understand what will happen. He wanted that to know, them to know what they could expect and anticipate so that, he says, you will not grieve like people who have no hope. So that no matter where you're at in the grief cycle, there's something that overrides and even carries us through it all, and that's a hope. A hope that goes beyond this life, a hope that goes beyond the grave. A hope that sustains us, a hope that lasts. And Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, he goes on to explain more of where this kind of real hope is found. All right? So let's read on. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. Paul says, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Now, there can be a lot of misconceptions and misunderstanding about what Paul writes to the Thessalonians here, so it's important for us to really grab a hold of this and understand. He says, because of our belief, our core belief in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's what we believe here at the chapel. It's part of our core doctrinal statement, okay? It's, it's the core, really, of evangelical faith as a whole, that Jesus died, that he was raised to life, that he, he resurrected, he came back to life, which says that there can be hope after and beyond life because Jesus experienced it and proved it. And he says, also we believe that when Jesus returns. We also here at the chapel, we believe that Jesus is going to return. I don't know the day, the hour. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. But we believe confidently that Jesus, because he said he was going to return, and Jesus was a man of his words, he proved it. We can bank on the fact that Jesus is going to return. And, he, and because of those things, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. There's hope for those that have believed in Jesus even after they have died. Dr. Michael Whitmer puts it this way. He says, you, you may shiver as you walk through the, through the shadow of death, but the shadow itself is cast by the bright light of the resurrection. So go ahead and weep, but only as someone who knows how the story ends. It doesn't. It doesn't. And for those that have put their hope and faith in Jesus, the story does not end. And Paul goes on to give even more confidence about that life after this life. He says, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us, the anger that we deserve because of our own sinful choices and attitudes and actions. He says, and Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or whether we are alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. Do you, do you hear the, the confidence in Paul's voice as he declares this in his writings to the Thessalonians, trying to give them hope and encouragement? He says, this is something you can, you can bank on. You can, it is the solid rock upon which we can stand in this life and truly 
have hope. And it comes through our Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished. On the, on the first weekend of the month, typically here at the chapel, we always celebrate communion. Hopefully when you came into the room, uh, you received uh, some communion elements. And, and in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to share these together. And so if, if you didn't receive those as you came in and you want to take some time with us this morning to just remember and reflect on Jesus and his sacrifice, I want to encourage you to just raise your hand if you didn't get one of these. Even those that are watching from home, man, you could just hit, hit the pause button. <laughs> I won't be offended. Uh, run to the cupboard, grab a cup. It could be water, it could be juice, it could be whatever, maybe a piece of bread, a cracker. See, on the night that the Bible says that Jesus would be betrayed and he was sharing a meal with his closest disciples, he took common elements like bread and, and juice or wine and he gave those common elements new significant meaning. And in fact, the Bible says that as they gathered together, they broke bread, which they had done oftentimes. But then Jesus took the bread and he said, this bread is a reminder to you of my body given for you. You see, Jesus was, was predicting his death on the cross, that he would go to the cross and give his life away so that, so that forgiveness for sins could be possible, so that hope beyond this life could be possible. And so if you peel back that first clear layer, you come to a little wafer. It's a reminder that Jesus took on a real human body that was sacrificed for us. Jesus broke the bread and he looked at the disciples and he said, this body is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus. And then if you peel back the thicker foil layer, you come to the juice. God's word says that as Jesus gathered there with the disciples and they broke bread, at the end of the meal, they passed a cup amongst themselves and Jesus shared it with them. And he said, this, this cup represents my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember Christ and his sacrifice. You know, the amazing thing is that Jesus said to his followers, and this is why we still do this today in 2024, he said, I want you to continue to do this until I come again. Jesus made a grand promise that he was going to come back, that he was going to return to gather his people, and that one day those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus will celebrate this grand celebration with Jesus in person. And we'll be able to worship him and praise him for his incredible sacrifice that makes hope possible. Well, Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, he continues to further explain to them and to us why it is that we can have hope. Look at what he says, and I want to read this uh, as a whole, and then we'll take a few moments to make some observations specifically because, again, this is a section of Scripture that has caused much confusion. He says, we tell you this 
directly from the Lord. Paul's writing, and, and this was a direct message that he or one of, the, one of the fellow apostles had heard from Jesus' own lips. He says, we who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the believers, he says, who have died, they will rise from their graves. And then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And Paul goes on at the beginning of chapter 5, now concerning how and when, because isn't that the question that everybody's wondering, right? Uh, it's the question that we often get stuck on. Well, when? When is it going to happen? He says, concerning how and when all this will happen to your brothers, we don't really need to write to you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return, he says, will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. He says, when, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then, he says, disaster will fall on them suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. It sounds ominous, doesn't it? And yet, he's writing to encourage the Thessalonian believers, and he is writing as a warning to those who may not yet be, pre be prepared for that day. And we want to know the day, don't we? Everybody wants to know the day. Everybody gets infatuated with the when. In fact, this is a real true story. Harold Camping, back in uh, 2011, paid to have 3,200 billboards posted all around the country because he believed that Jesus was going to return on May 21st, 2011, Judgment Day. He wanted everybody to be, re be ready. And, and he, he said, the Bible guarantees it. And yet, here we are. It didn't come true. And so, what happened? Well, Harold Camping, although he was right that Jesus is going to return, that's a truth that we can bank on from Jesus' own lips. Harold Camping somehow determined a date and this is so important for us. I mean, you know, I've, I've taught, had so many conversations with people, you know, and they're, oh, the Lord told me, and the Lord, and, and hey, I think the Lord still, he speaks into our lives, but he, he speaks what is affirmed by his word. And he speaks what is affirmed by a company of other witnesses and wise counsel, and, and somewhere along the way, even maybe well-meaning Harold Camping got off track, and he thought he knew a day and a time, perhaps even an hour. And it's so important for us to realize that when Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, he was not writing about the when. He was just writing about the what. And he was writing most of all about the how to be prepared, because none of us know the when. The purpose of Paul's writing to the Thessalonians was encouragement. You see, the, the Thessalonians, they were, 
They were going through a difficult time. They were suffering for their faith. I'm sure there were moments where they just wanted to bail. They just wanted to give up. And Paul's writing to them to say, hang on. Jesus is going to return. There's coming a day where he is going to make it all right. In fact, in chapter 5, he repeats himself. So encourage each other. Build each other up just as you are already doing. Paul was writing about the return of Jesus to encourage them, to give them hope. To know that there's, there's a day coming where there will be no more death or dying or suffering or sickness or disease. And that we can hold on till that day comes. So again, let me highlight some of the things that Paul specifically said in our passage of truth. He gives some direction for those who are believers who have died. He says, for the believers who have died, they will rise from their graves. So Paul is saying that, and this is, remember, this is what he heard directly from the Lord Jesus himself, that when Jesus returns, people who have put their faith in Jesus, who have already died, which may be some of your relatives, some of mine, he says, they're going to rise from their graves first. Now, that sounds pretty, pretty scary. Like, is this like a scene from The Walking Dead? Like, what's going to go on? A zombie apocalypse? <laughs> and yet, think about Jesus' own death, burial, and then resurrection. Jesus was given a new glorified body after he rose from the grave. It was shining and bright and, and perfect. And Jesus is is pointing us towards a new body, a resurrected body that all of us that have put our faith in Jesus will have one day. And the dead in Christ, he says, will rise first. But then verse 17, he says, then together with them, we who are still alive, and, and none of us know, will we be part of the, the crowd that is still alive at the moment that Jesus returns? I kind of hope, hope that's it for me, right? Um, or will we have already passed and then be risen with Christ then. He says, uh, those that remain though on the earth, they'll be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Like, I don't know how it's going to happen exactly, but we're going to be flying. We're going to be soaring, and I don't need spirit air to get me there. <laughs> Thank goodness. And he uses this word caught up. It's a, it's a Latin word, the word raptus, which is where we get our English word rapture. Now, maybe, maybe you've been around church for years, and so you've heard that term, or maybe you, you saw you know, a, a movie that talked about the end of times and the rapture, or maybe you've read some, a trilogy of books you know, that talk about the future and, and what's going to happen when Jesus returned, and I can't pretend to know all the details. I don't know that the scriptures are even clear on all the details of the when exactly and how. I just know that in the end... Jesus is going to return. That is abundantly clear from his word. And it says that those that have given their lives to Jesus, I believe before it gets really, really bad, will be raptured, will be rescued. It's why we can have hope that Jesus, our Savior, that God, our Father, loves his children, and that before he unleashes a holy wrath upon this earth like we have never seen. 
is going to come to the rescue of his followers, caught up and raptured. In chapter 5, verse 1, this is why Paul says, concerning the how and when this will all happen, we don't really need to write you. He said, remember what it said? For we know that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. That was truth from God's word. Somehow Harold Camping, he got part of it right that a judgment day is coming, that the return of Jesus is coming, but he missed this. That it's going to be unexpectedly, which says we can't predict it. There might be signs. Even Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 24 said, However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. And he was talking about the end times and the return of Christ. He said, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. This was Jesus speaking. <laughs> and so Jesus right here is saying, I don't even know when I'm going to return. Only the Father knows. And Jesus takes his marching orders from his Father and he says, none of us know the day or the hour except the Father alone. So certainly Harold Camping doesn't know, and certainly we cannot know. And remember, that's not the point. It's not about the when. It's about the, are you ready? Are we prepared? So again, Paul goes on. He says, when people are saying everything's peaceful and secure, I mean, just when, when the, our world thinks, ah, oh, all is well, he says, disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And he says, there will be no escape. It is ominous, isn't it? It, it, it should be a wake-up call, even to those of us that have given our lives to Jesus, to to be alert, to be ready. In fact, that's what Jesus is going, that's what Paul's going to tell the Thessalonians next. But it's also a wake-up call to anybody that might not truly know who Jesus is yet. That maybe you're watching online, or maybe you're here this weekend, and you're just, you've been exploring faith, and you're wondering about the Bible, and I, we're so glad that you're here and that you're exploring. But our mission statement is a as a church, is to help people move one step closer to God and each other through Jesus. We believe Jesus is the very center of history, that he's our hero. That there's nobody else that would go and suffer and die on a cross to give his life away for us so that we could be forgiven and have a, a reconnection with the God that loves us and so that we could have hope beyond this life. And so if you're exploring that and, and want to know more, we want to help in that journey. Because we don't want that day for there to be no escape for you. We want you to find your escape in a relationship with Jesus so that when he comes and returns, we're together with him forever. Paul, Paul also says, some things that are reminders to all of us as followers of Christ. He says, you're not in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. You're not going to be surprised when the day of the Lord comes. Verse 5, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and the night. But what does he say? Verse 6, so be on your guard, like be ready. He says, not asleep, 
like others. And he's not talking like, I mean, I hope you had a good night's sleep last night. He's metaphorically saying, let's not sleep away our lives and our spiritual lives and what really matters, what is really important, what is really at stake. He says, stay alert and be clear-headed. Let's have our wits about ourselves. Let's be prepared. Let's be found diving into the truth of God's word, preparing ourselves uh, for the return of Jesus. He says, night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed and protected, he says, by the armor of faith and love. Without faith, we read it a few weeks ago, it's impossible to please God. We'll just live our life pleasing everybody else. And faith is so critical. It's, it's the game changer for how to have hope beyond the grave. It's the game changer for how to, even though we'll face grief when we do face loss, it's the secret to grieving, but not grieving without hope. He says, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. So let me ask you, have you, have you given your life to Jesus? Are you confident of your salvation? Do you know deep down in your soul that when Jesus returns or when you die, that your next breath will be in heaven with him because of your hope that isn't based upon, you know, what you do or how much you have it together? See, the, the rest of all the world philosophies just say something like, well, just try hard and hope for the best and do good and maybe you'll make it in the end. I don't know about you, though. That's not, not something I want to take a gamble on. That I, that I want to just, you know, kind of hope for. Paul was writing to the Thessalonians to encourage them and to give them a a confident hope. It wasn't based upon them and their performance, but was based upon the performance of Jesus on their behalf and on our behalf. Dr. Michael Whitmer says, we can have hope because of the three R's. And what are they? The return of Christ, the resurrection of the body, and the restoration of all things. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, even when death comes knocking at your own door, we can have hope. Lewis Smedes uh, said that our lives are kind of made up of boxes. <laughs> Isn't that true? This is just the month of February. There's uh, 29 boxes in this month. I, I calculated it, and uh, I'm up to right around 18,432 boxes that I've lived. I'm 50 and, and a half, okay? So it, for those of you that are going to start, you know, wait a second now, how old is he really, you know? Kind of crazy when you think about it. That doesn't sound like a lot. 18,432 boxes. 
We all live kind of one box at a time, right? One day at a time. And we never know really for certain what's going to come into those boxes, right? I mean, there's, there's moments of bliss. There's moments of incredible joy and celebration and love and life. And some of those boxes, man, are filled with hardship and cancer and loss and divorce and pain. And none of us know, I'm not guaranteed 18,433. I mean, I'm not planning on it. But none of us knows. Death is inevitable. So what are you going to do with your boxes? And when we step into that last box, whatever it is, Will it be a box that ultimately just puts us in the ground? Or will it be a box that becomes a door? Because we've put our hope and our faith in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the door. All who come through me will enter in to my Father's rest. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the truth of your word Paul's words to the Thessalonians that are words to us today. May we be encouraged with these words to know that if our faith is in you, you are coming for us, Jesus, and we can count on you. And may your words to the Thessalonians and to us also be a challenge and a wake-up call for anyone that has not yet turned to you in faith and said, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I put all my hope in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, don't forget to stop out at the Night to Shine table. Write a note of encouragement for our honored guests. Thanks, guys.